My name's Angelo and welcome to We Want Picks. I'm going to break down the entire UFC London fight card, giving you my picks, predictions, and bets. But before we talk about UFC London, let's talk about UFC Vegas 77. Overall, a good night. I am up money. Jacob is up money. Prize picks crushed. The safety parlay absolutely crushed. Unfortunately, the safety parlay won at the expense of the lock of the week. Jacob's lock of the week, Estella Nunes, lost. The reality is she broke her arm in a 34-second freak accident. Nobody loves watching Jacob lose, squirm, shitting on him. Nobody roots for Jacob to be miserable more than me. Nobody. The people clowning him for the Nunez pick right now, I, listen, I think it was a bad pick. I literally bet against it. But the reality is, based off of a 34-second fight with a freak arm break, it's a weird, it's weird energy to shit on him for that. He can't control that. Now, if she was submitted, which I think was going to happen, then all in. But we'll give Jacob a pass on this one because that was some freak, freak nonsense at 34 seconds. But I don't care. It went down as a loss instead of a no contest. And I will take it. That helped me make some very real money. But it wasn't just the bets that did well last night. Anybody who watches this knows that we also have a whole suite of DraftKings content and tools available for premium members. Something that goes along with DraftKings is projecting out ownership, projecting out scoring. And we are the best in the industry. That is an objective fact. You're going to see six different sources. This is everything from the massive companies charging $100 a month for access to their information and we beat every single one of them. Our ownership projections had the smallest margin of error at 3.88%. We do not copy-paste anybody's numbers. I literally pay somebody to do their own calculations and come up with a number that only We Want Picks has. And we are first or second every single week when it comes to daily fantasy DraftKings ownership projections. So if you're in the DraftKings, you're dipping your toes in that water, you want to compete in these large tournaments, get those massive paydays, Freaking premium membership is only $10 a month and you're going to get everything including DraftKings ownership projections. But it wasn't just us that did well. Our premium members did well also. We had $13,000 worth of tickets sent our way from premium members everywhere. Anytime I show tickets on here, it is only from premium members. And these are premium members that went out of their way to DM, to post, to tweet, to say, thanks, we want picks. Look what I just did. Over $13,000 worth of tickets from last night alone. If they aren't the reason to sign up for premium membership, I don't know what is. We have the sharpest community in the space, period, end of story. And their success is a testament to what they're doing. It's a testament to everything that's included in premium membership. It's only $10 a month. We have the most successful and the sharpest community on the planet. You can actually join them for free in the Discord. You don't need to be a premium member to be in the Discord. Pick their brains, ask them questions. ND, a new premium member, cashed a $7,400 bet on Jack Della Madalena. A lot of success from the community. Congratulations to them. Everybody else become a premium member. It's only $10 a month. And you're going to get access to tools, information, insight. Yes, you're going to see all of our bets and you can copy them if you like them. If not, fade them. But use the tools. The line movement tracker this week is very interesting. We had five fighters at UFC London open as a favorite that are now full-blown underdogs on the sportsbooks. We had four different fighters with over 20% line movement. One of them... We see Mick Parkin here went from minus 175 to plus 120. Joel Alvarez, an insane 
line collapse going on there. Use the line moving tracker, spot your trends, find your spots, place your bets, and I'll give you 50 bucks. Anybody, anybody, premium, not premium, hate us, love us, anybody who wants 50 bucks, all you need to do is go to wewantpicks.com slash bets, sign up with any one of our betting partners using our link, make a deposit, and we send you 50 bucks as a thank you. It's just that simple. It's affiliate marketing. They're gonna pay me, so I'm gonna slice off a piece of that and give it right back to you. We are in this together. If I'm making money, you're making money because we don't grow without the community, so why not grease the skids a little bit? Wewantpicks.com slash bets, sign up using the link, Make a deposit. I will send you 50 bucks as a thank you. Let's go ahead and jump on this card. There's 15 fights at UFC London. None have dropped yet. I'm not trying to jinx it. Um, but let's go ahead and jump right in. And opening up UFC London, we have Jafofilio taking on Daniel Barres. Jafofilio is a fast-paced guy. He's going to engage in a firefight and look to work in takedowns. He can get wild with his striking, but he's fast and he throws heat. His takedown defense is solid. And he has offensive takedowns of his own as well. He's mostly looking to strike with you, but if you're going to pressure him, he does not like that. So he's going to back up, and then he's going to look for the clinch, and then he's going to look for the takedown. Overall, he is a solid striker who can set a nice pace. He's coming off that loss to Muhammad Makayev. If you remember, he almost blew Muhammad Makayev's knee inside out. It was one of the deepest knee bars anybody has ever had, including people who have won with a knee bar. The fact that Muhammad Makayev didn't tap is wild, but Jafofilio... No quitting that guy whatsoever. He's getting taken down, getting smoked a little bit. Still looking. Got that knee bar. Didn't finish with it, but holy crap did it show how dangerous he is. He's taking on Daniel Barres. This guy is a fireball. He's going to set a pace from bell to bell. He's as fast, powerful boxing, slick BJJ, and he also has takedowns when he needs them. His BJJ is slick, and he has no problem chasing submissions or hunting for a finish. He can lose positions at times because of that, but almost everything he chases is pretty close, and it does score well with the judges. His takedown defense is not the best, but he does work from bottom and create openings. Pick-wise, I'm going to go slight lean towards Daniel Barres here. I think Jaffel's going to come out hot, but he is going to start to fade. Daniel is not an easy guy to get out of there, and he's definitely not going to slow down. Even if Jaffel can get some takedowns, Daniel's not going to let him settle in. He's going to force him to work, which will probably exhaust him. So Daniel Barres is going to be the pick, but I'm not going to bet on this fight. I do have a bunch of bets already, just not here. Then we got Brunna Brazil taking on Shauna Bannon. I think we have five UFC newcomers on this card, and Shauna Bannon is one of them. Brunna Brazil is a solid striker. She's got incredible power. She's very creative on her feet with everything from Superman punches to spinning back kicks. She marches forward, throwing her whole arsenal and looking for a finish. She has takedowns as well, but they're not great. Like They're very BJJ-ish takedowns. Like She's going to shoot by just bending over at the waist. And then she's gonna finish with a trip instead of a true wrestler is gonna shoot a double and run right through you. Her BJJ is solid though. Her striking is where she truly shines. The problem though is that her striking is very offensive focused. If she's coming forward and she's dictating that pace, she looks incredible. But if you give her a bit of a hard time and you make her back up, she just can't handle that pressure. She's taking on Shauna Bannon. She's a striker. She has a traditional martial arts background. She's always coming forward and she likes to pressure, but she does seem to be forcing things, meaning she doesn't flow smoothly. She relies on pressure a lot and she relies on moving forward to have success. She is incredibly tough. She seems to be very strong in her fight. She has some takedown defense and a couple of slick submissions to round her out. 
Brunner was a bit exposed in her last fight, right? She was this hot prospect coming in a nice win streak after a contender series finish. We expected her to have powerful, big strikes and really control striking pace, but then she ended up backing up and she was touched up and then ultimately finished. I do think this is a much different fight though. Shauna is very tough, but she doesn't seem very dangerous and Brunna definitely is. I like Brunna to get this done. I think she can be the more technical striker and I think her power is gonna have Shauna backing up, which is what we're gonna need because if Shauna's coming forward, Brunna doesn't like to be the one backing up. But this line is basically even money right now. I do think it's gonna move. I may jump on a Brunna Brazil money line bet uh, a little later. I'm gonna keep watching that line. If it moves, meaning if Brunna becomes a favorite, I'll probably hit it before it takes off. But if it's sitting right here, if it's starting to go the other way for some weird reason, uh, I'll wait a little longer. That's where that line movement tracker comes in handy. Fights exactly like this. You basically have an even line. You do favor a side somewhat heavily. I would say she's a medium, in my mind, medium confidence on Brunna. So I'm gonna watch the line movement tracker, see where it goes. And if it's heading against me, I'll hit it immediately. If it's heading with me or for me, I'll wait and see and continue to monitor. If you want to unlock the line movement tracker, it's $10 a month for everything. And that's just one of the many, many things included. Just go to wewantpicks.com and click become a member at the top. Then we have Chris Duncan taking on Yanal Ashmaus. If you remember, I was all over Yanal Ashmaus. I picked him. I bet on him in his UFC debut. And he was the biggest winning dog on that card this breakdown is going to be a little bit different. He's taking on Chris Duncan. Chris Duncan is a heavy-handed, tough-as-nail striker who is never out of a fight. And I say that because he has more than one fight where he was dropped almost out of there, then fully recovered and came back to win. Style-wise, he's an accurate striker. He does keep his hands pretty low, but he's got a ton of power and a willingness to bang. He's going to grapple as well. He has seven takedowns in three fights, but can struggle with control. He's coming off a split decision win over Omar Morales where he did have five takedowns and he landed more total strikes. He's taking on Yanal Ashmas. As I mentioned, big fan of this guy in his UFC debut. He's well-rounded, does a great job adjusting in fights. He's gonna come out, striker first, throw heavy, work in spinning attacks, and then he'll adjust to wrestling if he's not having the excess that he was hoping that he would. He has a solid chin, a very solid base. He can be heavy on top. There's nothing explicitly amazing about him. Like He does everything like pretty well. There's nothing where you're like, wow, he is phenomenal at this. But he is strong, he's powerful, and he can grind out wins. He's coming off that huge upset win over Sam Patterson. I was pretty high on him in that fight, right? He was a three-to-one dog. He got the early knockout. But a lot of that pick was less about Yanal and more about Sam Patterson kind of sucking and having no chin. Chris Duncan is not that guy. He's not Sam Patterson. Yes, he gets hit. And yes, we've seen him get dropped. But he has never out of a fight. He is going to keep coming forward no matter what. I like Chris in this matchup. I think that his forward pressure, his grit are going to get it done. We haven't really seen much takedown defense out of Yanal yet, but he's likely going to get taken down or we're going to find out how good his takedown defense actually is in this fight. This line is basically even here. I like it. I have a half of a unit on Chris Duncan. I placed that bet. We'll see what happens with the line if I got ahead of it or if I'm behind it, but I like Chris Duncan here against the uh, impressive, you know, Ashmas. Then we have Ketlin Vieira taking on Pani Kanzad. Ketlin Vieira is big, powerful, come forward striker with solid takedowns and top work. She marches forward, 
throws heavy, looks to tie you up, and then she'll trip or uchimata from there. On top, she likes control, heavy pressure, and she pounds away. She's not super fast. She's not super athletic, but she is big. You're going to see 5'8", five, 5'7". Five, oh, it's only one inch. Watch the weigh-ins. Watch the face-offs. Ketlin Vieira is big, and she's strong. She's fundamentally sound. She's coming off that very close loss to Raquel Pennington, but that was a bit of karma because I don't think she beat Holly Holm, so to lose a close decision like that, the MMA gods evened it all out for us. She's taking on Pani Kanzad. She's a very good, pure striker, meaning she's got a great jab. She never just throws only one punch at a time. Her footwork is good. She can outstrike the vast majority of the division. She has an impressive 80% takedown defense, and she's likely going to need that in this fight. She's coming off that decision win over Lena Landsberg where she was knocked down, but she survived and then just dominated with striking. This is an interesting matchup because Ketlin seems like an easy pick. You look at it quickly, you go, oh, Ketlin. But if you look at her last four fights, it's a bit spotty. She lost to Yana Santos. She beat an old, tired Misha Tate. I think she lost to Holly Holm in her next fight. And now she's coming off that loss to Raquel Pennington. She is big. She is strong. But the lack of speed could probably catch up to her. I actually think Pani's speed here, her athleticism, I think that can get her the win. The only real concern for me here is that Ketlin can hold her against the cage for 15 full minutes or work in the takedown. The pick is going to be Pani. I like the footwork. I like the speed. I like the athleticism. I like the jab. I like all of those things. Betting-wise, over two and a half is probably a lock or a plus three and a half bet on Pani Kanzad. If you don't know what the plus three and a half is, you're basically buying points on the judge's scorecard. The way that math works out is all Pani has to do is win one single round. If she wins one round and this goes 29-28, that bet cashes. So we'll see when the props drop. That's usually on a Tuesday, but when those props drop, I'll take a look. I may hit the over two and a half. I may hit the plus three and a half on Pani. I think the footwork, the speed, all of those things are going to work really, really well for her. That plus three and a half is a bit of a cushion because I don't even need her to win the fight. I just need her to win one round to get that ticket. We want Pace.com become a premium member and then link your Discord. After you link your Discord, you will get alerts to your phone instantly when we place bets. Tuesdays, big popular day for the prop bets, and that's when you're going to start to get those alerts on your phone, and hopefully you can hit them before the lines take off. So if you're already a premium member, link your Discord. Discord's free. This way, you don't have to be refreshing your page constantly looking for the bet. It's right there on your phone. If you like it, great. If you don't, put your phone back down. Who cares? We on Picks.com. Click become a member. Link in the Discord happens on the account page after you log in. Then we have Brian Barbarina taking on Mahmoud Muradov. This is an interesting fight. Brian Barbarina, big, tough guy, right? He's a fun brawler. He likes to come forward. He's got a pretty good gas tank. He's a busy striker. He's not technical really anywhere, but he's got gas. He's got pressure, and he just sort of makes up for those technical holes. He does have decent wrestling and grappling, but he almost never uses it. His entire game plan is get hit in the face, come forward, hit his opponent. He is coming off back-to-back -back grappling losses, most recently to Gunnar Nelson, but Rowdy is, Gunnar Nelson, RDA, those are very, very solid grapplers and they're well above the average UFC grappler. He's taking on Mahmoud Muradov. This guy is a very good boxer. He has nice kicks as well. Solid fundamentals and is very clean with his technique. His striking differential is a very solid four to two and he ties it all together with takedown defense at 76%. He's coming off that decision loss to Kyle Baralo where his grappling defense looked Better than expected, honestly. Mahmoud is likely the better fighter in this matchup. Brian Barberena is a never-say-die, tough-as-nails son of a bitch. 
The pick's going to be Muradov, and what should happen is he comes forward, lands cleaner shots, works on a takedown, controls his way to a decision. But with his recent skid and Brian's toughness, I, I can't be sure enough to lay down minus 275 money on him. So Muradov is going to be the pick. I'll probably leave the bet out of here because Brian Barbarena, again, he's the type of guy you can't just say, oh, his opponent's better than him and that's it because he is going to try. He is going to come forward. He is going to bomb away and he's not going to stop. Then we have Mick Parkin. It was Michael Parkin forever. Then all of a sudden the website goes, nah, F it. His name's Mick. We got Nick Mick Parkin taking on Jamal Pogues. Mick Parkin, good-sized heavyweight. He's a big dude. And again, this is similar to the Ketlin Vieira fight. You're going to see 6'4", 6'3", but when these guys are standing next to each other, I expect Mick to be much larger, and we'll find out at the face-off. But he's a good-sized heavyweight, and he does a really good job slowing the pace and getting things where he wants them. He'll come forward, he'll throw one-twos, and then he'll hold on you. He'll lean on you. He'll get you against the cage. He'll take away your striking, take away your range, slow you down, potentially get a takedown as well. He's got solid BJJ. He will shoot his shot on submissions if he's on the ground, but he also uses it well to control on top. His BJJ, solid fundamentals, the way he'll flip his hips, knee on belly, things like that, to keep you on the ground. He's not particularly fast. He is going to wrestle more than most heavyweights, and he is going to use that to keep him out of trouble. He's taking on Jamal Pogues. This guy's a busy heavyweight. He always seems to be throwing something or doing something. He's got solid volume, a decent pace. He doesn't have that heavyweight power that you'd like to see, but he can grapple. In his first contender series fight, he had seven takedowns, and on the regional scene, he has quite a few as well. He's not particularly dangerous anywhere, but he sets a nice pace and can work everywhere. He's coming off that decision win over Josh Parisian where he just shut down Josh's volume with five takedowns and six minutes of control. Unfortunately, this is going to be a boring fight and I hate to say it, but neither one of these guys is a strike first heavyweight. They're both sort of boring, let me clinch, let me work from there kind of guys. Both are going to be looking to grapple. Mick in particular is going to be looking to eliminate all distance Get him to the cage and just eliminate any excitement, honestly. Jamal's sitting at a minus 140 favorite, and that feels about right. He's going to be faster. He's going to be busier. His offensive wrestling should be good enough to get his own takedowns. But his takedown defense isn't great, and Mick could end up on top as well. I am going to pick Jamal here, but I'm going to fade this with bets because I don't trust the takedown defense of Jamal Pogues. Mick's ability to be big and slow and lumbering and squeak in a takedown himself is pretty solid. So I'm going to leave it alone. This is one of those big line movement collapses. Mick was a good size favorite and that just shrunk all the way down, flipped to full-blown underdog. So a lot of people seeing what I'm seeing here as well. Then we have Mark DeCasey taking on Joel Alvarez. I have a weird history with Joel Alvarez on this channel. We'll talk about that in a minute. It was a whole thing a year and a half ago or whatever it was. Anyway, we got Mark DeCasey. This guy's a very good kickboxer. He has become some of a wrestler as of late, though. Striking-wise, he has a ton of power, and he sets everything up with leg kicks and body shots. He's a guy who likes to invest in the legs, invest in the body early to slow people down, hopefully for a later payoff. Wrestling-wise, he's worked in 19 takedowns in his last three fights with 26 minutes of control time. He's coming off that loss to Michael Johnson, though, where he was outstruck, and he had six failed takedown attempts. He's taking on Joel Alvarez. This guy is long. He's tall. He's 6'3 at lightweight, which is incredible. And he uses that length and reach really well. He's got solid kicks, 
okay boxing, but very good grappling. His grappling is interesting because he hasn't initiated a single takedown in his UFC career. He hasn't defended one either. So every single person that has set foot in the cage with him that wanted to take Joel Alvarez down has taken Joel Alvarez down. But he's very, very dangerous because four people have taken him down. He stopped three of them. So although it might be easy to take down Joel Alvarez, it may not be the smartest game plan. He is coming off the absolute drudging from Armin Saruki. And he was just bloodied. He was beaten. And I was all over Armin in that fight. The community came from my head. It was the weirdest energy I have ever seen. It was my first experience with like weird nut hugger fans. I was like, Armin Saruki is going to take down Joel Alvarez and bash his face in and win. Armin was a two to one favorite. That was not a hot take by any means. And I was, the hate that came my way for saying that was nuts. I had not seen anything like it this a year and a half ago. I'm now used to the weird, like obsessed with a fighter, can't look at things, objective fans. I'm used to that now. But that was the weirdest energy I've ever seen. But Joel Alvarez got smoked in that fight. I do like that he's taken about a year and a half off at this point. Hopefully working on some wrestling because the reality is his submissions are phenomenal. His striking is very good as well. But if he can't get his own takedown or if he can't defend a takedown, he has no control over where he is in a fight. I do think though that this fight is very different. I think Joel Alvarez is going to win. I think Joel Alvarez can get a sneaky submission off bottom if Mark's going to work in takedown. I think Joel Alvarez can catch Mark off guard on his feet as well. So I like Joel Alvarez to get the win. I've got a small money line bet on him as well. I wouldn't recommend tailing it because it is a bit sketchy. A bit sketchy because he doesn't have any takedown defense. And if Mark wants to shoot takedowns and just like elbows in, do nothing, that is very, very possible. But I like Joel Alvarez to get the win here. Uh, we now know how good Armin Sarukian is. So that loss isn't that bad of a loss. Where Mark DeCasey's loss to Michael Johnson, it's a pretty bad loss. Obviously, Michael Johnson, this guy's a vet. He's got high fight IQ. He's fought everybody and anybody. But Mark couldn't get a takedown, couldn't get a striking going, couldn't do anything to a 40-year-old Michael Johnson. Joel Alvarez is sort of a different breed with that reach. I mean, look at the difference here. 73 inches to 77, six foot three to 5'10". As long as Joel Alvarez isn't full-on jujitsu nerd, we should be good to go here. I do have that bet. Again, I don't necessarily recommend tailing it. Then we got Danny Roberts taking on Johnny Parsons. Danny Roberts, he's a guy's a striker. He's got solid boxing, good footwork. He throws very hard and he has the power to knock out pretty much anyone in this division. His takedown defense is not great and his takedown offense is horrific. It's 10% accurate. He is coming off that loss to Jack Della Maddalena though, where despite the knockout, if you zoom out and look objectively at the fight, you're actually like, wow, this guy's got a pretty decent chin on him. He's taking on Johnny Parsons. This guy is an exciting striker who's going to bomb away. No doubt, this guy's going to end up being a fan favorite. Anybody who stands with him can be in some very real trouble. But if you're technical, if you're patient, you could probably light him up. He throws big, heavy, looping shots, and everything has some sting on it. And while he does tend to get sucked into firefights, he's actually capable of some solid technique with leading leg kicks and you know circling out to make stuff happen. His takedown defense holds up well, but there isn't much takedown offense out of him because he really just wants to stand there and bang. Johnny Parsons is insanely dangerous. Insanely dangerous. And if 
we get the odds and he's the underdog. There's no odds right now that I can find. If we get the odds and Johnny Parsons is the underdog, he's definitely going to be worth the sprinkle. But he's also a bit too careless. And I think Danny Roberts is most likely going to out-technique him. Danny's footwork is probably the difference here. But we did just see him get knocked out by Jack Della Maddalena. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if Danny Roberts is sort of winning early, taking over first round, second round, controlling everything, gets a little too comfortable, and then bang. Johnny cracks him. So I don't have odds yet. The pick is going to be Danny Roberts. I'm going to go with the more technical guy in this fist fight, essentially. But if we get underdog money on Johnny Parsons, that might be worth a look. Then we have Davy Grant taking on Daniel Marcos. Davy Grant is a busy striker. He utilizes kicks really well for range and he punches for damage with some very, very real power. A lot of people forget that he started his UFC career as a grappler. And as a whole, Davy Grant is an experienced grappler, actually. He's gotten comfortable with his hands as of late. He's developed some real power. With 11 fights under the UFC banner, he has built himself some very real fight IQ. Even when he gets dropped, he stays composed. He's able to work through it, gets back up, continues to fight. He is coming off that submission win over Rafael Sunsau, where he dropped him, and then he submitted him with an inverted triangle. But... Just a little perspective there. Rafael Sunsau is, I think, 49 years old, 56, something like that. Anyway, he's taking on Daniel Marcos. This guy's also an effective striker. He's got power. He's accurate. He does a nice job stringing together combinations and marching forward. He's going to throw one-twos, and he's going to follow up with big flying knees and elbows. His takedown defense is solid at 88%, and with eight knockouts and six decisions, we know that he's incredibly dangerous but that he also has the gas to go all the way to stick out a fight, to hang out in there. He's not a first-rounder bust knockout kind of guy. He is coming off that knockout win over Simon Oliveira where he looked absolutely fantastic. And this is a simple breakdown. I think these odds right now are incredible value. Even though he hasn't been knocked out before, I think Davy Grant is a little bit chinny. And if he can't get a takedown, which he hasn't had since 2021, I think he gets lit up on the feet. Obviously, Davies BJJ could be a potential problem here, but I'm confident in Daniel Marcos. I have a half a unit on him at minus 121. And I genuinely think as of right now, this minute at that 121 line, that's some of the best value you're going to get on this entire card. So if you agree, hop on. If you don't, obviously fade it. Don't just blindly copy my bets. But I'm all over that. I'm liking that quite a bit. Then we have Lerone Murphy taking on Josh Coolybow. This is going to be a fun fight. A very, very fun fight. It's always interesting when the UFC puts together two prospects like this. It's like that Atman Azaitar francisco Prado fight last night at UFC Vegas 77. Two prospects, two guys that have solid records, a nice body of work. Let's find out who's better. And that's what we have here. Lerone Murphy's a very good striker. He moves incredibly well. He has a ton of power. He's going to light up your body, then step completely out of the pocket and move away. His footwork is very good, and he is dangerous on his feet. His takedown defense is listed at a low 37%, but he does really well scrambling back up to his feet. He was taken down 10 times in his last two fights, and he still managed to win. Josh Coolibau is a solid striker who is aggressive and tough. He throws heat, and he's always going to be live for a knockout. He is willing to engage in a dirty, inside-the-pocket type fight as well. He has no problem making it ugly, and you can see that with his negative striking differential. He's not really much of a grappler, but he does have solid takedown defense at 82%. He is 0-4 on offensive takedown attempts in the UFC. He's coming off that win over Melsic Bogdasarian where he dropped him 
with a jab. That's how powerful this guy is. Drop them with a jab and he pounced like a cat to get that submission. I've got to go with Larone here though. His striking is insanely fluid. He's got a ton of power. Josh gets hit pretty often. And not only does Larone have fight ending power, the judges love him too. He has two fights that went to a decision where he was taken down 11 times. He won one of those fights and the other one ended up being a draw. Anyone else who gives up that many takedowns in a fight is going to end up losing a unanimous decision. So for whatever reason, the judges are loving what Lerone Murphy's doing. Josh is a gamer. He's going to stick around, but Lerone should have this. I have a half a unit bet on Lerone at minus 145. Then we have Josh Herbert taking on Faraz Ziam. Josh Herbert's a technical striker who likes to keep fight at range. He's got a ton of movement and his feet are never planted for more than a second or two. He's always cutting angles. He's fainting. He's moving from side to side. He can be a bit low volume and he does have a negative striking differential. He's coming up that draw with Ludovic Klein where his clinch work was actually solid and he opened a big cut from bottom. He's taking on Faraz Ziam. This guy's a long, rangy striker who also works well in the clinch. He manages range with solid leg kicks, and if he gets in that clinch, he's going to work in some solid elbows as well. He's a technical fighter. He avoids risk, right? He's going to pick his shots. He's only going to engage when he sees an opportunity, and he's going to stay outside as long as possible. He's coming off that win over McCall Figlak, where he had three takedowns in almost seven minutes of control, which was a nice new little wrinkle for him. This has potential, like that heavyweight fight I mentioned earlier, to be one of the most boring fights on this card. We have two technical strikers. They're both low volume, and they both love range. This does not scream barn burner. I do think Jai is going to win, though, because of the two of these guys, he does have more power. He is more dangerous. His takedown defense is absolute trash. He's been taken down by almost everybody, and he just accepts bottom after he is taken down. So Faraz Siam, who we just saw work in a couple of takedowns, might get in there. That might be his game plan. If it is, he could have some success. But I think Jai Herbert's going to get it done. Uh, I think he'll outpoint. He'll win a boring striking match. Let's just hope he's not put on his back because that's basically going to be it. No bet here. I'm not going to bet on a boring fight. I'm not going to bet on a guy that can't defend a takedown. So no bet here. There's a lot of other, other, lot. There are a lot of other spots on this card. Breaking down 15 fights, you get tongue-tied, man. It's a little bit. Then we have the battle of the jujitsu nerds. We got Paul Craig taking on Andre Muniz. And actually, these guys are actually not jujitsu nerds. Andre Muniz is an absolute killer. He is a BJJ killer. He's got decent striking. He's got okay wrestling. He hits very hard. He's got some clean striking entries as well. He's not going to shy away from a striking match either. He never gets desperate with his takedowns. He will take real shots, avoid the, the butt scoot, the bullshit, he is coming off that submission loss, though, to Brendan Allen, where he looked a little bit washed. He looked old. He looked a little bit used up. It was a bit surprising, honestly. He's taking on Paul Craig. Paul Craig is a grappler who is very dangerous on the ground and has proven to be incredibly tough. He's never out of a fight. He has more than one win where he was just getting his face smashed to bits, and then he managed to pull off a last-second victory. Essentially, if he has room to grapple with you, you should probably worry about it. His striking is just okay, but he does have some power. His biggest issue is that his takedowns are not good, and he almost has no control where the fight goes, right? He can't take you down. His takedown defense is not great either. He doesn't even necessarily want to defend takedowns because he wants to be playing the jiu-jitsu game with you, but he will strike. 
He will stand there. He will bang. He will throw big power. He will try to make something happen. He's coming off that knockout loss to Johnny Walker. This is an interesting fight, and my gut and my brain are split here. My gut is thinking Muniz was a little bit exposed in his last fight against Brendan Allen, and while Paul Craig does have some big holes in his game, he's tough as nails. He's the harder hitter of the two. But then my brain is saying, well, Paul Craig has no takedown offense, poor takedown defense, and he's probably going to outgrapple this whole fight. Basically what Muniz did to Uriah Hall. And I disagree with these two to one odds on Muniz. And my favorite Paul Craig bet, which actually didn't cash last time, is inside the distance, decision, no action. Do we think Muniz is going to submit Paul Craig? I don't think so, right? I don't think he's going to submit him. If, if Andre Muniz wins, it's probably going to be just a grapple heavy decision. But I am struggling with the pick a little bit. And I honestly, I want to hear your thoughts. Let me know in the comments who you think wins this fight because, and, and like be normal about it. Don't, oh, Andre, and then the stupid lock emoji. Anybody, th there's no lock in this fight. This is actually a very close competitive fight. Two high-level grapplers. Paul Craig's big, strong, hits pretty hard, no wrestling. Andre Muniz, the much more well-rounded guy that just looked pretty old and pretty slow in his last fight. A lot going on here. The, the, ever, the slightest lean in the history of leans right now is probably towards... Andre Muniz because he can control with the wrestling, but Paul Craig's a dog. Paul Craig is a dog. This should be a pretty interesting fight. I am genuinely curious what you guys think in the comments. Then we have Nathaniel Wood coming back after an injury, taking on Andre Feely. This is another really good fight on this card. Nathaniel Wood's a really solid striker. He's got solid power, a great dirty boxing game. But he can grapple as well. He actually started his UFC career with three submission wins in a row. He's got slick upper body takedowns and great control on the ground. I love his volume of more than six significant strikes per minute combined with his 73% takedown defense. He lets his hands fly with confidence that he won't be taken down. He's coming up that win over Charles Jourdain and some nasty stitches on his leg. That was the injury. He fell. They were wrestling, busted his shin open. He couldn't fight because of the stitches. So hopefully some of you don't think that the knee injury that people are talking about was an actual knee injury and he needed surgery. Literally nothing like that. He had a cut. He's taking on Andre Feely. This guy is an incredibly well-rounded guy. He was supposed to be the next big thing coming out of Team Alpha Male. But he got some poor matches early. I mean, his second fight was against Max Holloway. If you run through his resume, he's fought... Pretty much everybody at 145 pounds with some mixed results. I think they just sort of fed him to the lines a little too early, but the reality is, technique-wise, skill-wise, Andre Feely has all the tools. He can wrestle. He can strike. He can brawl. He does rely on his chin a little bit too much. He does get hit quite a bit. You'll see that with the negative striking differential. But Andre Feely is very good and much better than his 2-2-1 two, two and one in his last five. He is coming off that win over Bill Algeo where seems to me that the takedown was the difference in the judges' scorecards. I love Andre Feely. I love that he's the type of guy that on any given night, he could look like a world champion. I think he could literally beat anybody in this division if he's firing on all cylinders, right? It's just, he's very circumstantial because then the next fight, he'll go out there and just look like a dud. Get hit a little too much, not put it together. But when he's on all cylinders, this guy is absolutely firing away. Nathaniel Wood did have to pull out of his last fight. I mentioned, again, it was only stitches. If it was a knee injury and he needed surgery, like we're going to talk about Tom Aspinall in a minute, I'd feel a little differently, but it was a cut. So we don't have to worry about him favoring his leg. or It was a cut. It's no big deal. So because of that, 
I think a full-blown healthy Nathaniel Wood probably beats an inconsistent Andre Feely. Andre has great takedowns. I can't really trust them to use them. Nathaniel's going to be the pick. No money line here. Let's look at the props. We might explore something there because Andre Feely is much, much better than the odds are telling you that he is. We have a co-main event. We got Molly McCann in what is going to be a showcase fight taking on Julia Stolorienko. Molly McCann is fun. She's an aggressive striker. She likes to fight dirty inside the pocket. She doesn't have a ton of power, but she does have two separate incredible spinning back elbow knockouts in the last 18 months. While she prefers to just bang it out and slug it out, she does have some nice takedowns that are well-timed, and she uses them to secure rounds and lock things up. She's mostly a decision fighter, but she's technically sound, has plenty of cardio to push that pace. She is coming off the very quick Dominant loss to Aaron Blanchfield, but she was just taken down and that was it. But the reality is that's going to happen from time to time. She's taking on Julia Stolarenko. She is a grappler, but she has a miserable takedown accuracy of 25%. She's very slick off of her back. She has a ton of submission wins in her career. Her striking is a bit sloppy and she is very hittable with that negative striking differential of two to four, but she is willing to brawl. She's got heavy kicks. And while I noted the very low 25% takedown accuracy, I should also note that she's coming off her second fight in a row where she's actually really nice takedowns. Her last two fights, she looked like a different person when it came to the takedowns. But unfortunately, outside of armbar attempts, she doesn't really have anything to offer after those takedowns. This fight is 100% set up to be a showcase fight for Molly McCann. Co-main event, basically at home. I mean, that's what this fight is. That is what's going to happen. Molly McCann's going to win this fight. I don't know if it's going to be by stoppage, but she's going to win this fight. The odds are minus 400 on her. It's a little tricky to work with that, but frankly, I think she could probably be parlayed. That's how confident I am in Molly McCann here. And then we have the main event of the evening. We have Tom Aspinall coming back after a, I don't want to say gruesome because there was no bone exposed, but after a pretty bad MCL injury and he's taking on Marcin Tibor. If you remember... Tom Aspinall, just like Jacob's lock of the week, about 15 seconds into the fight, blew his knee out. He's back. He got his surgery. He's recovered. And the UFC said, hey, why don't you do a main event at home against one of our tougher grinding type guys? Tom Aspinall has been gone for about a year. I don't know how long a recovery from an injury like that should take. Seems like an appropriate amount of time, but I don't know. I might be missing something. He's a very good striker. He famously has spent some time training with Tyson Fury. For a heavyweight, he's got great hand speed, really good defense, a diverse attack style where he mixes and kicks really well. And he's not just a striker. He has a 100% takedown accuracy, a 100% takedown defense, and he averages four takedowns per 15 minutes. He's coming off that loss on paper to Curtis Blades because, again, he blew his knee out in 15 seconds. And unfortunately, that's a loss instead of a no contest. He's taking on Marcin Tybora. This guy is durable. He's a grinder. He never quits. He's busy. His striking is just okay, but he is, you know, a punches in bunches kind of guy. If he gets a takedown, he's going to pound on you until you quit, and he doesn't need to look for any submissions at all. Tybora averages a little more than one takedown per fight, but he has a low 33% accuracy. Instead of clean doubles and shots, he relies on body locks, trips, to get you to the ground. He is coming off that win over Blagoy Ivanov where he had a takedown and he managed to control the striking. This should be an easy Aspinall win, right? Tybor is tough as hell. He never quits. 
But Tom should be faster. He should hit harder. He should have the better BJJ. He should have the much better striking. My only concern is maybe he doesn't trust his knee yet. Like, we don't know. He may go out there and be afraid to throw kicks, be afraid to like heavily lean on that knee. We're not sure yet. And frankly, we won't really know until the fight starts if he's 100%, if he's favoring. This may be a huge accomplishment for him to just get out there and get over the fears he has of his knee. I don't know, but he has all the tools to dominate this fight, all of them. If this was a close fight and I was kind of favoring Tom and then the knee, I'd leave it alone. But I'm very heavily favoring Tom. And even with the knee concerns, let's say the gap is this wide, now it's this wide. So Tom Aspinall should dominate this fight. He should be able to win this fight absolutely anywhere he wants to. So I'm all in on Tom Aspinall here. I think he's a, a solid parlay piece. You got to hit him before the line goes crazy. He's minus 400 on some books right now. And while that seems very wide, he's, he's the most confident pick on the card. Him and Molly together, probably a solid parlay, honestly. So I can't do that now with bet online. For some reason, there's no Molly McCann line up there. But once it is... I'll probably take a look at that. Guys, that is the breakdown. We have 15 full fights at UFC London. I'll give you 50 bucks. I want to give you $50. You know why? Because I get paid. They're going to pay me, so I'll make some money, and then I'll give you 50 bucks right back. We all win. Everybody makes a couple of dollars here. Just go to wewantpicks.com slash bets. Use our link to create an account with any of our sportsbook partners, make a deposit, and then I will send you 50 bucks. It's affiliate marketing. They're going to pay me. And then I'm going to break off some of that money and give it right back to you. You just have to use the link. That's how everything gets associated. We own picks.com slash bets. Sign up, make a deposit, and I will send you that $50. You can then use that $50 to become a premium member. Premium membership is far more than just a handful of bets, right? You're going to see other people. Oh, my Patreon, my Patreon. It's a list of their bets. Their Patreon is a list of five bets, four bets, whatever it is. That's all it is. Ours is, yeah, you're going to get all the bets. But let's put that aside for a second. You're going to get tools, information, data, courses. You're going to get anything you have ever needed to be successful watching fights. You're going to get the line movement tracker. This gives you opening odds, current odds, win probability, and line movement for every single fight on the card. You're going to get detailed data, metrics, analytics, 38 columns of information that you can dig into, that you can take a look at, that you can use to find your own spots or even better, avoid some landmines. You're going to get the best DraftKings ownership projections in the game. Not only do we have an optimizer that builds DraftKings lineups for you, it's preloaded with ownership projections and scoring projections. And you can use all of that information to win at DraftKings Fantasy. You're also going to get courses. A lot of people see this, they go, what the hell is DraftKings Fantasy? Well, we have a course that walks through exactly what DraftKings Fantasy is, how to build lineups, what it all means, walks through the terms. You're going to get everything you have ever needed to make a couple of bucks watching these fights, but more importantly, just enjoy the fights a little more. Nothing is more exciting than a couple of bucks on a fight. Nothing is more exciting than watching your DraftKings lineup and rooting for somebody you never would have rooted before. Guys, all of this, everything I have mentioned and the hundreds of things I didn't mention is available to you right now for only 10 dollars a month just go to wewantpicks.com and click become a member and it's not just me and jacob we're the faces of most of this but we have artem breaking down all the non-ufc cards and the ufc cards giving you his predictions giving you his bets giving you his write-ups his insight and we have the ai the ai is full beta it is in development it doesn't have grappling stats yet we're actually working on that the grappling stats are uh 
behind the scenes, we've added them and we're just tracking them quietly before we flip it over. But follow that AI journey because I'm positive this time next year, that thing's out picking every single one of us. Guys, we on picks.com. Click become a member. It's only $10 a month. Like, subscribe. Thanks so much for the watch. None of this is possible without you all.